Hello and welcome to the first Extinction Rebellion Southeast Queensland podcast. I'm Renee Wooler. If you've heard about Extinction Rebellion, but don't know what we represent and want to find out more about who we are, this first episode is the right place to start. There are 10 principles that express what it means to be involved with the Extinction Rebellion network. I've been asking a few people within the Southeast Queensland group to unpack some of these principles for you, dear listener. But firstly, I acknowledge First Nations people, past and present, who have been fighting against extinction since the start of colonisation. I'd like to acknowledge the Yuggera Turbul people, whose land this was recorded on. Sovereignty was never ceded. I'd also like to acknowledge the Wangan and Jugalingu people who have recently had their native title extinguished. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Secondly, I'd like to put a call out to musicians and anyone who wants to be involved in this podcast. We need a cool intro montage and a theme song. If you think you have a great idea for an episode or want to be involved in any way, please send us a message through the Facebook page Extinction Rebellion SEQ. Thirdly, our biggest week of action is coming up, starting on October the 7th. So put it in your diary, take some time off work like me, do some non-violent direct action training, and come along to reclaim your future. That's the International Rebellion Week, October the 7th to the 11th. See the Extinction Rebellion SEQ Facebook page for more details. And now, the 10 Principles of Extinction Rebellion. My name is Hope. uh, I'm here as an activist with Extinction Rebellion. Um, I've become involved with XR for a few different reasons. Uh, First and foremost, I would like to see a livable future on this planet. Uh, And also, um, as a public health academic, I feel like I have an obligation to address the coming public health crisis that that the climate breakdown is going to present. So hi, uh, my name's Jenny, and I'm working with Extinction Rebellion here in southeast Queensland. Um, I have been working on the climate crisis for more than a decade now. I found out about it in 2006 Uh, And since then have really been working both in my my day job and in my spare time around uh, addressing the climate crisis. Um, And I've become increasingly worried that things don't seem to be moving. In fact, we seem to be moving in the wrong direction. Um, And I was so excited to find Extinction Rebellion as an organisation that really is starting to treat this like the emergency that it really is. Hello, my name's Nicole. I'm 32 years old. I live in Brisbane and... I joined Extinction Rebellion a couple of weeks ago. I have a full-time job. I have been active in trying to change the system that is so broken for quite a while. And it's become really apparent to me that no matter how hard I work on setting up not-for-profits or how hard I work in the education space or anything like that, messages just aren't cutting through. So my name is Sean Nolan. Uh, I'm 35, based here in Brisbane. Um, I joined Extinction Rebellion after seeing uh, the effects that they were having in the UK. Um, People actually 
giving truth on what was happening in the world with, in regards to climate change um, and also standing up and taking action um, because nothing else was being done about it. The petitions, the marches, none of that was working. Civil disobedience has worked previously uh, throughout history and seeing uh, a new model and a really attractive um, movement based on really solid principles. Uh, my name is Lodi Levy. I'm a counsellor um, and a psychotherapist and I've been working in this field, uh, working with people and their emotions for the last 30 years. Um, and I've also been an activist in South Africa. I'm very excited about the, the principles of XR because I think they're very consistent with my values. My name is Tom Howe. I'm 29, live in Brisbane, West End. I'm, um, I started with XR in late February 2019 here in Brisbane and did the first intro talk, um, which feels like it was ages ago now. Um, what's been attracting me to Extinction Rebellion is the urgency of which the movement is addressing the problem of the climate crisis. Uh, the structure of holacracy and radical trust within the people you're working with and the very basic 10 principles and values that um, it gives us to work with to grow a movement and actually create change. Um, been part of activist groups before and movements and they have just failed to act with the urgency uh, but also with the care and kindness and respect that's necessary to uh, make change in a really transformative and safe and inclusive way. When I first went to an Extinction Rebellion meeting, the very first introduction, I wasn't prepared to cry. I wasn't prepared to meet friends that I already knew there. And I wasn't prepared for how succinct and how well organised the principles were that they introduced that night and how essential they really are to what we're trying to achieve. Extinction Rebellion is founded upon a really rigorous understanding of how, what has worked in past civil disobedience movements, um, looking at why they've been successful and how we can build that into an effective movement to address the climate crisis. So here at Extinction Rebellion, we have a shared vision of change. So we're creating a world that is fit for generations to come. That's why we're doing this. We're all here together because we know a better world is possible and we're willing to do what it takes to make that happen. It's a really clear goal that we need to, to sort out is that, you know, reduction in carbon emissions, um, transitioning to 100% renewables by 2025. Um, protecting biodiversity, again, you know, looking after the native wildlife that we've got in this country, um, stopping land clearing, um, have, having that as a shared goal is, is uh, super important and, uh, again, is a given to what we need to do. Um, telling the truth about what's going on in the world, again, that's, you know, there's so much factual, evidence-based peer-reviewed science out there that is saying that the way that we are going business as usual is going to kill us um, and if we don't get that information out there to the public um, then how can they have a say in, in how their, their lives are going to go. Secondly we set our mission on what is necessary. We're not about saying, well, what do we think is possible? We look at what we must do in order to have a safe climate and survive. So that look, it's looking at mobilising 3.5% of the population to achieve system change and using ideas such as momentum-driven organising to achieve that. That means we 
Focus on the fact we're in a crisis. Focus on the fact that other movements have failed. Focus on the fact that we have to tell the truth and that we have to act now. And whenever we're kind of getting together and planning, we, we use momentum to make sure we're out there on the streets doing these things weeks after weeks, months after months. We have to act now. So there is a momentum behind that. Um, and we've got to achieve change. If 3.5% of us can work together collectively um, on a non-violent strategy, we have a really good shot of twisting the government's arm and getting them to act in a really meaningful and responsive way in the magnitude that's needed. Rather than focusing on what is you know, good or right or correct, um, at this point in time we recognise that what needs to happen is um, whatever is necessary to create the change required um, to, to produce a livable future on this planet and, and to produce um, a more equitable um, system of shared power in, in social and political systems as well. Uh, and, you know, um, Extinction Rebellion is a civil disobedience movement. So what we consider necessary based on um, based on analysis of historical data um, and, and also of contemporary uh, actions happening all around the world, we recognise that um, civil disobedience is our best chance of producing the change that we need. So another uh, really important thing that we know comes from the work of Erica Chenoweth, who is a professor of public policy at Harvard Kennedy School. Now, Erica Chenoweth did some really, really valuable research looking at past campaigns all around the world, many different countries. She identified uh, every campaign from 1900 to 2006. There wasn't a single campaign that she identified that failed once it achieved 3.5% of the population actively participating. So this says that we actually don't need everybody on board. We don't need 75% of people. We don't need 50% of people. We don't need 25% of people. We only need 3.5% of people to be actively participating in our campaigns. And that's why um, we think we can actually succeed with a relatively small group of people. Now, 3.5% is still a really large group of people, if you think about the population of Australia, um, but it certainly doesn't seem unachievable. So mobilising 3.5% of the population, um, you know, it, we're not going to be able to get everyone on side about this. Um, people's lives have been so focused on, we have to go to work, we have to pay bills, we have to feed our kids. Um, they don't have time to focus on um, what that actually means and what the consequences of those things mean. So a huge amount of consumerism means that there's a huge amount of pollution, which also means that there's a huge amount of emissions. Um, so in, in Extinction Rebellion, doing what is necessary is basically being a fire alarm to that, saying, hey, this is a huge issue. Um, we are going to cause societal collapse if we continue the way that we are doing um, and doing what is necessary to, to get people aware of that um, and to, to force change through our political system. Our third principle states that we need a regenerative culture, which is about creating a culture which is healthy, resilient and adaptable. Creating a culture in, in which we can sustain ourselves, sustain our, um, our actions as, as activists, but also um, to create a, a community and moving forward from that, a society in which we, we have a system of regeneration uh, rather than the current systems um, which are built on exploitation. Uh, you know, the, our, our current exploitative systems have led us down this path of climate crisis. So the solution to that 
is to develop social and political and and other um, cultures that are regenerative and sustainable and about um, you know producing uh, people and systems that are um, self-sustaining and and can continue into the future in a really healthy and resilient way. Do you wanna die? Do you wanna die by eco side? Please don't sit in complacency and allow the destruction of ecology. Do you wanna die? Do you wanna die by eco side? We've got less than 12 years to save the planet, and if not, there's nowhere for us to inhabit. And I know. Um, so there is a working group of regenerative culture here in Southeast Queensland Extinction Rebellion. So a group of people that make sure everyone's doing all right mentally and physically, but it also is embodied in how we operate in ourselves to make sure we are checking in on ourselves, regenerating, taking our time to not get burnt out and keep ourselves strong, fit and healthy um, for the task ahead, which is a rebellion against the Queensland government. Um, I've seen how negative emotions like anger and fear affect us, affect my clients, affect me, and I don't think they're very healthy for us individuals or, or for the movement. Um, we can get burnt out, we can, be, we can become overwhelmed, and all of these very strong emotions can actually make us less resilient and can make it hard for us to sustain the kind of action that we need to take. So um, I think that resilience is actually born from being able to manage our pain, rage, fear, sadness, and actually be able to channel these very important feelings towards a greater purpose. Um, we must be able to feel these feelings. So I'm not suggesting that we ignore them or try and override them. And again, in my work as a therapist, it's very important that people make contact with their emotions in a very honest way and feel them as deeply as they can. But this must be done in a safe space so that they can be processed and then they can be set aside so that they can actually move on in their lives. as a remedial massage therapist um, for my own personal ways of tackling regenerative culture um, I actually give out a lot of free massages just to make sure that everyone's feeling healthy in their body um, but as, as an organization what that means is making sure that people's grief is heard about the, the current issues like knowing potentially that the world is is um, you know, going to have a huge catastrophic climate failure um, causes a lot of grief in people so making sure that they can talk about that, that they listen to, um, running workshops on um, maybe how to, f to focus that energy a little bit better. Um, and then also like training people on uh, what it's gonna be like if that does occur um, and how we can best look after ourselves. So like permaculture and um, you know, general health things in life and, and making sure that everyone's gonna be as good as possible. It 
it's not very obvious from the outset that you need a regenerative culture. We're told by lots of marketing and we're told by lots of friends that, you know, just stay positive or do some yoga and you'll feel better or eat some more vegetables and things will be okay. That's actually not going to make it okay. And when we talk about a regenerative culture, to me that makes makes all of us happier and healthier and more resilient. And if you know anything about capitalism, you'll know that that's pretty much geared to create the opposite in all of us so that we'll consume more. We need a regenerative fruit culture. We need to, to build that from the bottom up. The regenerative culture in XR means taking care of each other, means, yeah, we can drink a beer. Yeah, we can, you know, take time out to, to cry and hug each other and be like, this is really scary and I've got you. I understand what you're going through. Our fourth principle is that we openly challenge ourselves and our toxic system. We're willing to leave our comfort zones to take action for change, Um, challenging uh, ourselves to be better than we've ever been. The process of change is not a comfortable one. Uh, It can be quite confronting. uh, And that discomfort is a necessary part of the process. Uh, So we're trying to create an environment in which people have the support they need and and the resources they need to challenge themselves and to challenge the systems that we're living in so that we, uh, you know, so that we can move through that discomfort um, in, in a healthy way. And, and create the change that we need to create on a systemic level. I think anytime you have to turn introspective and look at the darker parts of yourself and society, um, that's really challenging. Like we are a program to um, flow as easily as possible in life, um, where we don't have to challenge those thoughts um, and who we are on a daily basis. We just need to go to work and pay bills and keep that system going. So. When you turn it around and, and look at yourself and go, actually, I'm guilty of contributing in my own way. Um, and I'm saying this about myself as well. Like, um, I've been part of this society for an exceptionally long time. And that means that I've contributed in, in so many different ways to that. Um, so being able to look at that and go, actually, that's not right. These are the things that I can do to change that. And then talking to people about how to do that, because I'm not an expert. I'm just hoping to learn as much as possible. Our fifth principle is that we value reflecting and learning. So this is very much coming from our roots, uh, being founded by people like Roger Hallam, Gail Bradbrook, who've done all of that hard yards in understanding what is it that actually works and really learning from what is effective and making sure that we're learning from other movements and contexts as well as our own experiences. This whole movement is based on real science and also um, social sciences, so you know things that have applied for for corporations in the past to effectively move forward. You know that's all applicable principles for us as well. We look at things that we've done, actions we've taken, um, people that we've talked to and interacted with, the way that we interact with the media. Um, you know, just looking at those things on a, on a on a regular basis and trying to learn from that as much as possible. You know, that's pretty standard HR practice in any kind of company. Like you do something see what effect it has, and then you take that back and have a discussion about how you can learn from that. One of the things that XR does so well is get beyond our comfort zones and really push each other to get beyond our comfort zones. So when we do an action or when something happens, 
we are radically honest with ourselves. Our sixth principle is that we welcome everyone and every part of everyone. So we want to work actively to create safer and more accessible spaces within our movement and make sure that we're as diverse as we can possibly be. So we want people who are old, people who are young, um, people who are working in all sorts of different areas. Um, we want people from all sorts of different minorities, ethnic groups and so on, all to be welcome and part of our movement. Really, really embodying that inclusive, safe space um, so everyone can feel safe and, and wants to be a part of it. So that's about creating a, a community where everyone is welcome, where everybody has a place. Uh, and, you know, that can be a, a really complex challenge. Um, we feel like we're, we're up to that challenge, um, you know, because of, of the other principles we have in place to facilitate that process. Uh, and we recognise that it's really necessary to create inclusive spaces um, so that everybody's voices are heard, so that everybody's needs can be met. Uh, in order to create um, that regenerative culture and to move towards a, a livable, sustainable future uh, where we don't have the in inequities that we're currently looking at, uh, we need to be able to make space for everybody uh, and to ensure that we understand the strength of diversity. Our seventh principle is that we actively mitigate for power. We want to break down hierarchies of power for more equitable participation. Uh, so we're all about um, equal voices having equal say, and we really do embody that in all of our meetings and everything that we do. What that means is it's a very flat structure, and it means that there is no leader. There's ideas, people might form around ideas, what we've seen in the past with any kind of um, organisations or corporations or anything to do with like uh, building a large group of people um, is most of the time there's a few group, few people that kind of head to the top of it and then command everyone below them. Um, in Extinction Rebellion, that's not the case. Like we are a holacracy, so we all are autonomous and decentralised. Um, we can organise our own actions without checking in with each other. So does that mean we don't have a CEO? There is definitely no CEO, no. There is no uh, executive order whatsoever. There's no executive bathroom. Um, I'm really disappointed about that. But <laughs> yeah, no, there, we are just people um, trying to do the best that we can by society. Um, and if we got caught up in some kind of hierarchical setup, uh, we would probably be counteractive to what we're actually trying to do. Uh, so this is about recognising that the the current hierarchical systems that we, we work in, um, th those hierarchical systems promote inequity and, and inequality. That's why we're facing, um, you know, the climate crisis in the first place uh, and all of the other challenges that are, um, you, you know, directly and indirectly related to that. So by actively mitigating for power, what that means is that we're trying to... Um, let go of those systems where where power is held over people and to create systems where power is shared amongst everybody. So we're always trying to break down the hierarchies of power for more equitable participation. 
Um, that means if you find you're doing too much and you have too much decision-making power, you are always the one talking, you're always the one running the actions, you're always the one in the media. You need to mitigate that power. You need to share it, encourage, embolden, and um, get other people to take on those roles. Um, hierarchies are what well, a lot of what's wrong with the world. Um, so we're actively trying to give that power away um, and activate others to really take on responsibility and ownership of the movement. Our eighth principle is that we avoid blaming and shaming. We live in a toxic system, but there's no one individual that's to blame for what's going on here. So we're not about blaming and shaming people. Um, we don't want to embody hatred. We want to create a world that we want to live in and to really embody that in how we behave. So avoiding blaming and shaming is really part of not talking with hatred. We want to talk with love and joy about creating that world that we want to be in. I find it really difficult to not blame and shame. I do it internally, but I've learned to not do it externally. And I have a lot of admiration for the people around me who have their eye on the bigger picture and they know that it's it's not the people, it's the system. And living that day-to-day -day can be quite challenging, but I was really, really impressed with the XR member who hung himself off the bridge uh, with his climbing gear and, and unfurled a flag and he faced the people who were trying to cut the ropes. They were trying to cut him down and he would have hurt himself so badly or perhaps even died if that had happened. And his response to that was love and I didn't know how he could do that. Um, but blaming and shaming is only a divisive tactic. It's only ever been used to divide people. And if we're going to get 3.5% of the population to join us, hell, we want everybody. We can't blame and shame and we need to see the forest for the trees. It's not how people have been conditioned and we've all been conditioned, particularly the people at the top of the hierarchy, the people it's easy to point to. You can name premiers, you can name individuals who have done terrible things but we've all been complicit in building this system. So by blaming and shaming them, really we could look at ourselves and, you know, there's lots to go around. So non-violence within ourselves uh, allows us to be disciplined and intentional in our actions. And then we realise that our actions come from a place of love. Love for the planet, love for all the creatures and forms of life. And that does include other human beings. This is perhaps our greatest challenge, is how we work with our minds. And as Gandhi says again, it's only non-violence when we love those who hate us. And I think that is a very, very uh, challenging thing for us to sit with. And this is really, really important um, because we could look at individuals, we could look at particular organisations and say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, and they may be, but that's not how we fix the whole issue. Like, we have to look at a whole societal change. It's not just about stopping one mine, stopping one company, changing one politician's opinion. Like, we have to change the minds of a whole society about 
how they can survive and how they can look after the next generation to come through. Um, because at the moment we're, we're looking at catastrophe. So there's no point in, in pointing fingers. Um, we need to band together and, and work through this as best we can. So although you might figure that a, um, a head of state such as Anastasia Palaszczuk or Scott Morrison are, um, are to blame, they're not really because they are just part of a system which is designed to oppress people to look after business interests. And if they were to go tomorrow, you would find they'd be replaced by someone just as bad or potentially someone worse. So we need system change. We don't just need to change the current government um, or the figurehead or, you know. So um, not actually naming the individual person and sometimes even the individual companies. It's endemic of a world where systems are wrong. It's not the individual's fault. It's the whole system that needs to change. Our ninth principle is that we are a non-violent network. We use non-violent strategy and tactics as the most effective way to bring about change. And that's absolutely core to everything we do, that non-violence um, and, and a very deep and profound sense of that uh, in everything we do. There's been a lot of studies done in the past in regards to violent rebellion compared to non-violent rebellion. Um, and what was actually found was non-violent rebellion uh, is a hugely more successful. We, we've looked to many different people in the past that have kind of embodied this. So Gandhi was a really good uh, person to look at for that. Um, we looked at um, the beginning of the civil rights movements in the US where people were sitting on the wrong areas of the bus um, getting arrested day in and day out. Um, and that ended up causing a larger momentum to, to force change on the civil rights movement. Um, and even in Australia, like we've had 40 years now of frontline activists getting in the road of bulldozers and protecting uh, nature. You know, that's how a lot of our national forests and parks have come about um, because people stood up and said, no, I'm not going to let you do this and I'm just going to sit here and stop you uh, non-violently. So we're a non-violent network. Hopefully you know this about Extinction Rebellion. We do not encourage violence in any way, shape, form or manner. That's both in our behaviour, our language, how we treat each other. Um, non-violence is not only materially effective, it's morally the right thing to do. And history and past movements do suggest that, that non-violent movements are far, far stronger, uh, almost twice as likely to succeed as violent movements. I'm much more concerned about what's going to happen to our children and their children uh, than I am about um, my own self because I'm nobody, I'm just, I'm just a guy. I, I go to work and then I go home and uh, I just care about other people. So um, for me, nonviolence in that regard means that I'm able to sacrifice my liberty, um, I'm able to sacrifice my time uh, for the greater good. There's, there's no better feeling than knowing that I'm doing everything that I physically can and mentally can um, to ensure safety for the coming generations. I think I heard you saying there that, that you're feeling a uh, sense of goodwill, in fact, towards uh, these people who, who might have even, um, you know, cut the rope. Yeah. Um, and their children and their children. Yeah. Um, so 
I think people in that in that kind of situation, it's something that they haven't been presented with before. Um, you know, their their day is being disrupted. They had goals of their own in mind for that day, um, and to know that there's someone um, on a, on a rope, uh, basically stopping them from doing that. Um, yeah, I, I was expecting a lot of anger and reaction in that regard. Um, I probably wasn't expecting people to like actually try and kill me, um, but. You know, that's that's a good learning to take from this is that um, you don't know how people are going to react in that kind of situation. Um, but it doesn't mean that I would stop what I'm doing in any way, shape or form. Like, um, again, I'm just holding a lot of love for those people um, and knowing that what I'm doing is actually for them and their children. Number 10, we are based on autonomy and decentralization. We collectively create the structures that we need to challenge power. So Extinction Rebellion is not organized like a typical organization. There is no one person at the head. There's no one who is the leader that makes all of our decisions for us. Um, We certainly do have people within our movement who are very experienced, very respected um, because of the wisdom and experience that they bring. Um, And their voices are very much heard with the knowledge of that wisdom that they bring into the room. Uh, But they don't, they're not our leaders and they don't make decisions for us. We make decisions all together through a collective process, uh, which is actually pretty incredible to to be a part of um, and to see that in action and how it works. Um, So that, that is a really core principle as well that we uh, that decentralization and that people take autonomy in the work that they do and we all rely on each other to fill our different roles uh, in order to succeed Uh, being autonomous and decentralized means that again you're not relying on a hierarchy to tell you what to do Um, There's no bosses, um, there's no memos going out saying everyone needs to get to this spot at this day. Um, Basically, you are in charge of your own actions if you want to take them Um, and you can organize a group by yourself. Again, it's as long as you're sticking to these 10 principles and and values that we have in Extinction Rebellion. um, Yeah, you are allowed to to go and do whatever you wish. Um, Because if you're checking in with people all the time and... um, I guess going slowly about that. Um, Trying to get a consensus. Yeah, exactly right. It's, it, it takes a lot longer um, to occur and we need to be doing this stuff now. Like we don't have time to waste. Um, we need to be, you know, daily going out there and swarming and, and blocking roads and causing disruptions. Mm. Um, so the more people that we have available that can organize themselves and do that, the better off we are. Uh, and we'll see some change happen quicker. We're based on autonomy and decentralization. So here in Brisbane, we have six Extinction Rebellion groups so far. Um, we're growing really, really fast. And that's because we give people the power of ownership. Um, people can make their own decisions. And you can take action in the name of Extinction Rebellion if you follow these 10 principles. Everything we do is backed up by social science, academics, uh, historical examples. There is method to the madness of blocking traffic and disrupting the CBD of major cities. There is method to the madness of being arrested and and showing a sacrifice. We are going to mobilise more people. It's working already. Um, And we have to act because if we don't, there's no chance of a safe future. I am an Extinction Rebellion rebel. uh, And if you like the sound of what you've been hearing, come join the rebellion.
So this month of September, here in Queensland, Australia, we have seen unprecedented bushfires, both in the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. The fire season starting early. We are seeing the 20th of September listed as the biggest general strike the world's ever seen, headed up by school strikers. So that's global. We're going to see countries and cities all over the world shut down for the day to support real climate justice and real climate action. At the end of the month, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is releasing a new report, which is going to be even more damning than the previous one. It's really going to spread the science and people are now starting to pay attention. We're seeing a huge awakening of people all over the planet that are not only willing to do something, they're going to be willing to do what it takes. And that's what's going to happen on October 7th onwards from the Global Rebellion. I'd like to thank all the musicians who kindly donated their music. That's Zan Muller, who provided quality electro-instrumentals underneath much of the podcast. Serena Backer, for her soulful tune, I Don't Want to Die by Ecoside. Pure Velour for their luscious roots track, The Feel. Phantom Chips for some lovely and thoughtful ambient vibes. Louise Terra for the powerful track, Fade. And Probable Cause for some intricately crafted and thumping trance. I'd also like to thank all the members of Extinction Rebellion who were recorded or otherwise helped out in the making of this episode. I'm Renee Wooler and I'll see you in the next one or on the streets. <laughs> <laughs>